Well, good morning and welcome back. We are so thankful to have you here with us this morning and we thank you for being patient with us this morning during the technical difficulties that we had earlier, but I think everything is up and running and I am still just so thankful we have a way to still be together even though we can't physically be together. So thank you so much for joining us and we are gonna dive into today's lesson. Now, as you probably know, last week we started talking about this concept of building resilient faith and what that looks like. And you may or may not recall from last week, the reason that we're looking at this is the staggering statistics of people who are either avoiding the church or leaving the church. And we don't want to keep playing defense. We want to actually go on offense and start talking about how do we prevent this, this staggering statistic from continuing to happen. So we're going to dive into that today, and we're going to start with our first topic, and that's going to be experiencing intimacy with Jesus. And this is such an important concept for all of us, whether we're brand new Christians or whether we've been Christians for a long time, it always is good to stop and kind of take stock of where we're at in that relationship and talk about how we can grow through that relationship. So I hope you're as excited as I am, and let's go ahead and just dive right in today. So we are going to look at those categories that we talked a little bit about last week. And again, this is from a Barna study, and this was a 10-year study. So this was a long-term study that we're talking about. And this was focused on ages 18 to 29, but I would beg to, to plead that I would almost guarantee if you were to multiply this out, it's not just 18 to 29 year olds that are falling into this category, but it's gonna be everybody. And we talked about the fact that there are kind of four different categories of people who grew up in the church. 22% of those are now prodigals, which means they've kind of wandered away, they've walked away from the church, and they really no longer consider themselves Christians. The next group, 30% were called nomads, and those are folks that are coming to church occasionally, but really not plugged into the church and really not invested in their faith. We also talked about 38% were habitual churchgoers, and that means that they come to church regularly, but the life that they live outside of church doesn't back up that name of a Christian. It doesn't back up the faith that they're professing. They're not doing the things that they're professing that they would do. And then we look at that 10%, and that 10% is those resilient disciples, and those are the ones that are locked in and plugged in and doing everything they can every day to follow Jesus and to lead others to Jesus. So what we're looking at is that 10%, that's, that's not enough. That's a small number. We want to look at how do we expand that 10%. And the way that we do that is by building resilient disciples. And again, we're going to talk about that first step of building resilient disciples today, and that's building intimacy with Jesus. So what we have to do first is we have to stop and think about what does my relationship to Jesus look like now? Where am I at in my walk with Jesus do I just say a prayer once in a while and go to church on Sunday mornings and the rest of the time is my own and I kind of do whatever I please and do whatever I want? Or maybe I'm, I'm at church every time the doors are open and I'm praying for every meal, but I'm not building that relationship with Jesus, that relationship that he wants, that we should so desperately want to have with him. Maybe we're just going through the motions. I don't know. I don't know where you're at. Sometimes I have to wonder where I'm at. But this is exactly what we're talking about, and this is why we want to stop and take a new focus on what does it look like to build an intimate relationship with Jesus. And I'm excited to look at that here with you this morning. So let's start with a definition. Experiencing Jesus means clearing religious and other clutter so that you can have closeness with and joy in 
Christ. And I love this definition so much because what it's saying is we've got to get rid of all of the other stuff in our lives that prevent us from truly having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And again, a relationship with Jesus is more than just saying a prayer. It's more than just walking through the doors of the church. It's more than just listening to Christian music on the radio. It's that intimate relationship, that two-way relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. But see, if we've got clutter in our lives, if we've got things in our lives that are preventing us from doing that, the first step is we've got to clear all that stuff out of the way. And I don't know what that clutter is for you. Maybe it's sin that you need to give up and that you need to get rid of. Maybe it's people in your life who are preventing you from having a relationship with Jesus. Maybe that's the clutter that you need to clear out. I don't know what that looks like because that's different for everybody. But just like if you go to clean out the garage, the first step is you've got to get rid of all the clutter. And that's exactly what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is you've got to clear out all of that clutter so that you can focus on that intimate relationship that he wants to have with you. So let's take a look at some scripture. We are going to start with the fact that God looks for repentant, radically reliant hearts. And I want you to turn with me to 2 Chronicles. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, we're going to read verse 9. Let's read this together. It says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. It says, you have done foolish things, and from now on, you will be at war. So I want to focus on the first part of that, of that verse where it says, he's searching for those who are fully committed to him. And those are the folks that he wants to strengthen. He wants those folks that are fully committed to him. And in return, he's going to strengthen you. He's going to help you down that path. But we've got to do the first step because he wants people who are going to be committed to him, just like any relationship, it takes that firm commitment. If you think about those relationships in your lives, it takes commitment to make it work. If only one person is committed, as we know he is committed to us, that relationship is bound to fail. But we know that if we're committed to him, that he's going to strengthen us and he's going to see us through. I love that verse. God meets us where we are and not where someone else is. And we're going to flush this out a little bit more a little bit later on in the sermon this morning, but it's so important. I wanted to mention it multiple times. God meets us where we are, not where someone else is. See, the relationship with Jesus looks different to different people. It doesn't look the same for me that it does for you. And that's not to say that I'm right and you're wrong or you're right and I'm wrong. That's to say that Jesus meets us where we are. But guess what? We're all in a different place. We're all in a different place on our walk with Jesus. Some of us have been believers for 40, 50, 60 years. Some of us have been believers for 40, 50, 60 days. But he meets us where we are. And I don't want to dwell too much on that now because we're going to circle back to that here in just a little bit. And we'll talk a little bit more about what that looks like. But it's just so important to remember as we go through this that not everyone's encounters with Jesus or relationship with Jesus is going to look the same. So we've got to commit to some things if we want to make this work. We've got to commit to repentance. See, it's not enough to just say, you know what, I know I sin, because we all sin. But we've got to truly repent and turn away from those things that we're doing if we want to have a relationship with Jesus. See, it's not enough to just say, hey, Jesus, I'm so sorry that I use that language, and turn around and continue to use that language. 
That's not what repentance is all about. And that's what he wants from us, and that's what he craves from us. Reliance. We've got to rely on him, because I'll tell you right now, if we're relying on ourselves, we are going to fail, right? We can't rely on ourselves. We've got to rely on Jesus, the one true and perfect example that we have. We've got to communicate, and you can take this word out and change that word to prayer. We've got to have a prayer life with Jesus. It's mind-blowing and it's amazing that the creator of this universe wants to have a relationship with you. Let that sink in for just a moment. The person that breathed this universe into existence wants to have a relationship with you. But it's got to be a two-way street. It's got to be a two-way street. You've got to do your part. You've got to talk to him. Jesus knows what you need, and he knows what's in your heart, but he wants to hear from you. It's just like your mom. You've got to call your mom, right? That's what makes mom happy. You've got to reach out to Jesus because he wants to hear from you, and he wants to talk to you, and he wants to have this relationship with you. But we've got to do our part. Communication is a two-way street. Obedience. We can't truly have an intimate relationship with Jesus if we don't obey the things that he's taught us to do. Because, see, if we're constantly going against Jesus and doing the things that he has told us not to do or not doing the things that he's told us to do, can we ever truly have a meaningful relationship with him? I don't think that we can. So we've got to take that step of obedience. And the last is worship. Now, this is going to come up in a few weeks down the road when we start talking about how uh, vocational worship, but, but I want to just encourage you to remember that, that worship isn't just when we come to the building and we sing songs. Worship is everything. Worship is when we pray. Worship is when we sing. Worship is when we read our Bible. Worship is when we give. There are so many different things that constitute worship. It's not just singing songs. Yes, of course that's worship, and that's an important piece of worship. But I want to encourage you to think of worship outside of the box. Worship isn't just when we sing or isn't just when we come to the building. We can worship him in everything that we do. And that's what we're commanded to do is to follow him. We talked last week about, be, Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus. Be like me as I try to be like Jesus. And those are some important words from Paul that we talked about last week. So, let's look at some scripture. Let's jump ahead to John chapter 15, verse 5. And I really want to focus on the second half of this verse. I think this is a pretty common verse for most of us. This is the example that he gives about how he is the vine and we are the branches. But I love what he says in the second part. It says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, this reinforces this idea of having a relationship with Jesus because without him, we have nothing. Yeah, you may still have your worldly possessions, but at the end of the day, what does the Bible say about if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Without Jesus, we have nothing. So we should be doing everything in our power to create or to continue or to enhance this intimate relationship that we have with him. Because again, we're reminded in the words of the Bible that apart from him, we have nothing so important to remember and to keep that focus on him and everything that we say and that we do. So let's remember what we talked about a little bit earlier, and those are those statistics that we talked about. 
where three out of the four groups identified as Christians. Remember, the prodigals no longer consider themselves Christians. They've completely walked away. But the nomads and the habitual churchgoers and the resilient disciples all call themselves Christians. And this is something that we see all the time, right? Because when, when you fill out surveys and you fill out things like this and it asks for things like religious or affiliation, and you go, okay, so I'm not this and I'm not this and I'm not this, so I'm going to check that box of Christian. And, and, and two of the three groups are doing just that. They're checking the box and saying, I'm a Christian, but only 10% of those people who are calling themselves Christians are actually trying to have this relationship with Jesus Christ that he wants and that he craves from us, that are actually trying to be and doing their best to be resilient disciples. It's easy to call ourselves Christians, but it's much less common to find people who truly find their identity in Christ. Think about that. Where do we find our identity are we finding our identity in self, or are we finding our identity in Christ? And we're going to talk a little more about that. Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. Again, Matthew 15, verse 8 says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Now, this is Jesus talking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And see, one of the things that the Pharisees we see from the examples in the Bible and we see through, through history is the Pharisees were really good about professing about Jesus. And they were really good about talking about Jesus. And they were really good at standing on the street corners with their arms in the air and saying these long and eloquent prayers to say, look at me, look at how holy I am, look at how righteous I am. But what the Pharisees didn't do is their actions didn't back up those words. And that's what led this verse in Matthew, chapter, in Matthew chapter 15 that says that they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. See, he wants a deep, heartfelt, life-changing relationship with us. He doesn't want us to just say we're Christians. He wants us to show the world that we are Christians, and not to be like the Pharisees who stood on the street corner and said these eloquent prayers. He wants us to really, truly identify with him and have a relationship with him. So let's look at three ways that the enemy attacks. Three ways that the enemy attacks. The first one is, you discover the truth about yourself by looking inside yourself. You discover the truth about yourself by looking inside of yourself. This is that whole you-do-you you attitude that has become so prevalent over the last few years. This whole you-do-your-thing-and-I'll-do-my-thing. Well, that's not what we're called to do as Christians. We're not called to you-do-you and you-be-you and you-be-whoever-you-want-to-be. We're called to be like Christ. But see, this is where the enemy comes in, right? This is where Satan tries to get in our head and says, no, 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 you don't need to do what Jesus tells you to do. Just, just do you. And he, he's planted this seed that has become so prevalent that even during this virus outbreak that we find ourselves in, there's people protesting, let us do our own thing. Let me be me. It's my body, my choice. We hear that all the time, right? That's not what Jesus calls us to do. But see, that's where the enemy comes in, and the enemy says, hey, it doesn't matter. You just do what's best for you. 
Number two says, you can believe whatever you want to believe as long as your beliefs don't affect society. This is another one of those things that I hear all the time. Doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you believe in, but don't you dare affect anybody else in the process. And as long as you don't, it's perfectly okay. Again, we know that's not the case. We believe in the one true and living God. And, and we worship him. And we believe in him. But society is saying, oh, that's nice for you, but I'm going to do my own thing. And again, that's where the enemy comes in and starts putting those doubts in. Number three says, you should pursue the things that you most desire. Wow, that's a dangerous one, right? But society says, you go do whatever you got to do. If you'd rather play golf on Sunday mornings, play golf on Sunday mornings. If you want to go ride your motorcycle on Sunday mornings, go ride your motorcycle on Sunday mornings. You do you. You do what makes you happy. But see, that's not God talking. That's the enemy talking. He's saying, hey, he's whispering in your ear, hey, you don't have to go to church. Hey, you don't have to give to the church. Hey, you don't have to say prayers. Hey, you don't need to spend time in the house of the Lord. He's saying, you do you. You do what you want to do. Do what makes you happy. See, that's not what God says. We don't read in the Bible where God says, hey, you do you, and it'll all be good, and I'll meet you one day in heaven. That's, that's not what the Bible teaches us. You do you is not the path that gets us to heaven. But, but I give you a perfect example of these three things that we're talking about. Look at the Garden of Eden. Isn't this exactly what the serpent did in the Garden of Eden? He said, hey, God's not watching. Look inside yourself. He said, hey, are you really going to die from eating a piece of fruit? Are you really going to lose favor with God for that? You believe whatever you want. And then he said, hey, look how tasty this fruit is. Do the things that make you happy. From day one, this is how Satan has been working. It's the same game plan over and over and over again. And why is it the same game plan? Because it's been working over and over and over again. It's been working. So, so we need to be aware, right, of the way that the enemy attacks us so that we can defend against that and we can be against that. And that is so, so important. So today what we're going to look at is five myths about intimacy with Jesus. Now, don't miss that word, myths. Obviously, these are things that are not true. We're talking about myths that we believe about a relationship with Jesus. And myth number one is intimacy is about what Jesus will do when we get close to him. Now, that's about as backwards as anything you're going to read in the Bible. But if we look in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, again, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Verse 18, it says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since when it, what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. See, it's not about what Jesus can do for me. It's about what can I do for him. See, Jesus has already done what he needed to do for me. He came to this earth. He walked as a man. He suffered. He was beaten. He was crucified. He died and rose on the third day. He did his part. It's not about holy handouts. It's not about what can you do for me or what have you done for me lately. That's not what having a relationship is all about. It's not, hey, my life is going great, so I'm going to be really close to Jesus, but when it's not going great, I'm not. That's not how it works. We're not sitting around waiting for Jesus to magically give us everything that we've ever wanted or needed. That's not the way that it works. 
So the myth is the holy handout. When Jesus is doing things for me, I'm going to have a relationship with him. We have to be very careful of that. Let's move on to myth number two. It says, intimacy is about an informal buddy-buddy relationship with God. I know it's kind of a funny buddy-buddy thing, but I, but I think it's something that we can all relate to because we all have a buddy or a friend or somebody that we can relate to. But if we look at John chapter 15, verse 15, we don't have a buddy-buddy relationship with Jesus. And we shouldn't have a buddy-buddy relationship with Jesus. Now, is that to say Jesus isn't our friend? No, that's not what I'm saying. Don't miss this. What I'm saying is it's so much more than a relationship that you have with a friend, or in this case, with a buddy. So let's look at John chapter 15, verse 15. It says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. That's Jesus again talking about, I want to have that close relationship with you. But we should be in awe of Jesus because he did some amazing, amazing things for us. And without him, we would not have a hope of spending an eternity in heaven. And that's why I say it's not a buddy-buddy relationship. Yes, it should be your friends, but it's so much more than that. And you want to talk about a one-sided friendship. Look at the things that Jesus has done for us. And what are we doing for him in return? Let's look at number three. It says, the experience of intimacy is not the same for all of us. And this is what I said we were going to come back to. And we could do a whole lesson series on how this works and how it doesn't work. But that relationship is not the same for you as it is for me, as it is for the person sitting next to you, as it is for your husband or wife, as it is for your boyfriend or girlfriend, as it is for your neighbor across the street. Because as we mentioned earlier, that Jesus meets us where we are. And I don't know where you feel closest to Jesus, because for all of us, it's different. Maybe it's that quiet time you have first thing in the morning where you sit down with your cup of coffee and you read a chapter out of your Bible or you read your devotional. Maybe that's where you feel closest to him. Maybe it's when you come to the building on Sunday mornings. Maybe that's where you feel close to Jesus. I don't know what that's like for you, but I'm going to use worship as an example. See, we all worship very, very differently. For some of us, worship is, a, is kind of a serious emotional experience where we like to really reflect on the words that we're singing, and it's kind of a quiet, almost a meditation time. And for others of us, it's, it's hands in the air and swaying back and forth and eyes closed and looking up to the heavens and, and really just losing ourselves in worship. Does that mean that that person who's, who's sitting quietly worshiping is more in tune with Jesus or has a better relationship with Jesus? Or does that person look at the other one who's got their hands in the air and says, wow, I'd like to be as holy as that person? See, see, it doesn't matter. Neither one of those are right or wrong, but the Spirit moves differently in all of us, and we all have a different relationship with Jesus. Maybe you find him in those quiet times, or maybe you find them in those times where you have got your hands in the air and you're the only one standing up in the auditorium. Neither one of those are right or wrong, but we have to remember that he meets us differently and we can't focus on someone else's relationship with Jesus and say, oh, I don't have that. I have people tell me all the time that Jesus speaks to them. And that's fantastic that you can hear Jesus. 
But, but other people tell me I've never heard Jesus speak to me. And that can almost make them feel bad about their relationship with Jesus because Jesus doesn't interact with them or they don't perceive Jesus as interacting with them in the same way as this person over there. But that's not the case. It doesn't mean you're any closer or farther from Jesus because of the way that you worship. It's all about that one-on-one relationship. Even the apostles didn't have the same relationship with Jesus. Look at the different personalities of the apostles. You had Thomas, right, who was kind of an analytical, and, and he, yes, we think of him as doubting Thomas, and that's true, but, but he was kind of the engineer, right? He wanted to sit and think everything through, wanted the proof. And then you've got Peter, who, when Jesus is arrested, lops the guy's ear off with a sword. Those are two very different personalities and two very different people, but they both experienced Jesus in their own ways and in a very powerful way. But I'm sure Peter didn't look at Thomas and say, I need to be more like him. And Thomas didn't look at Peter and say, let me go grab a sword because I need to be cutting people's ears off. But that didn't stop them from experiencing a relationship with Jesus that was different but equally as powerful. Let's move on to number four. It says, we can experience the fullness of intimacy with God in the here and now. Again, these are myths, right? Sometimes we feel like we need to experience everything there is about Jesus right here, where we are today. And that's just not the case. It's just not the case. We're never going to experience the full intimacy of Jesus Christ until we go to meet him face to face. And we don't know when that day is coming. It might be today. It might be tomorrow. It might not happen in our lifetime. I don't know when that's going to come. But when it does, what an amazing time of doing nothing but worshiping and being in relationship with Jesus Christ. And I hope that you look forward to that time. And I hope that every day when things are difficult, those are the things that you focus on. But let's look at a piece of scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12. Again, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12 says, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. It says, Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. We only know a part of what Jesus is like. We only know a part of the relationship that we have with Jesus. But one day, oh, one day, right? We're going to meet him face to face. And I often try to imagine what that's going to look like, and I can't, because I, I, it, my mind is not, not expansive enough, I guess, to even understand what that's going to look like or how I'm even going to act when I see Jesus one day. There's a very popular song that was out on Christian radio called I Can Only Imagine. I don't know what's going to happen when I meet Jesus one day. Am I going to fall to my knees? Am I going to cry? Am I going to speak? Will I be speechless? I don't know what that looks like. But what I do know is it's going to be very different than the way I've experienced Jesus here on earth, and it's going to be amazing. And it's going to be wonderful, and it's going to be perfect. But I can't know that until I get there. Let's look at myth number five. It says, we can experience intimacy with a partially surrendered life. Jesus doesn't require perfection, and thank goodness that he doesn't, because we would all fall fall short, because we do every day. But he does require surrender. We have to be willing to surrender everything 
to follow Jesus, just as he did for us, just as the apostles did for him. And if we look at Mark chapter 12, verse 30, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all of your strength. If you've listened to my sermons in the past, I've used this verse before, and if they let me up here again, I'll use it again. I love this verse. I love that word all. It doesn't say, love the Lord your God with part of your heart and with part of your soul and with part of your mind and with part of your strength. It says all. And that's what surrender is all about. Surrender is about giving it all to Jesus. And that's what he asks us to do. He doesn't ask us to be perfect. He doesn't say, if you ever commit a sin, you're not going to heaven. No, he took care of that for us already. But what he does say is, I want all of you, not just part of you. So powerful. I love that verse. Intimacy cannot be achieved when you are looking over your shoulder for something better or for something else. For those of you who are married or those of you who are in relationships, think about that. Would you have a successful marriage if you were constantly looking for someone better, someone younger, someone smarter, someone richer? Someone richer? No, of course not. Because you've built that relationship with your husband or your wife or your boyfriend or your girlfriend. But you can't be truly committed to that person and truly thrive in that relationship if you're always looking for something better. Have you ever met those people who are always looking for something better? No matter how good they have it, they always want something more or something that they don't have. When we have a relationship with Jesus, we don't have to do that anymore because we've already got a relationship with the one thing that matters the most. And that's Jesus Christ. Because when we have him, nothing else matters. And as we read earlier, if we don't have him, we have nothing. So there's no reason to keep looking. So we've got to surrender everything that we have to him. In just a moment, we're going we're gonna to sing a song that, that the title of the song is, I Surrender All. And I love that song and I hate that song. Because I love that song because of what it means, and I hate that song because it pricks me in the heart every time. It doesn't say, I surrender all except my wallet. It doesn't say, I surrender all except my time. It doesn't say, I surrender all when it's convenient for me. It doesn't say, I surrender all except when it comes to the things that I'd rather do. It doesn't say, I surrender all, except when it suits my needs. It says, I surrender all. Again, that word all. We've got to surrender everything that we have to truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That intimate relationship. That relationship that 10% of Christians have, where they have that close, one-on-one, -on -one, meaningful, heartfelt relationship with Jesus. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time of worship that we've had today and this time of coming together and just focusing on our relationship with you. Heavenly Father, we pray that 
if we have a great relationship with you, you will help us look for ways to make it even stronger. We pray that if we don't have a relationship with you, that you will help us to find that meaningful relationship as we follow these steps to truly create relationship with you. Heavenly Father, teach us just to surrender it all, just as you did when you surrendered your son for us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. When we talk about surrender, maybe you've never surrendered at all to Jesus, and maybe you need to do that. We can still baptize you for remission of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We can have us a social distancing baptism. We'll put our masks on and our gloves on. There's no reason to wait. Or maybe you've had a relationship with Jesus for a long time, but you've not truly had that intimate relationship with you. If we can help you with that, if we can pray for you, you can put prayer requests in right on our app. You can reach out to myself, the eldership, or the office, and we'll help you in any way that you can so that you can truly have that relationship with Jesus that you want to have. And you have an opportunity to do that as we sing this next song. Again, we want to thank you so much for joining us here this morning, and thank you for bearing with us during our technical difficulties, but we were still glad to have you here with us. And don't forget about our midweek services for our young adults, our teens, and our adults as well. Again, if you need those links to get into the Zoom meetings, please feel free to reach out to the office at office at mbchurch.org, and we'll be happy to make sure that you have everything that you need and help you get online so you don't miss out on those services. Let's close out today in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we've had to come together to learn another portion of your word, to sing some songs to you, and to observe communion. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would just be with us, continue to keep us safe, and continue to keep us building that relationship with you. Again, we thank you for all that you do and all that you bless us with. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next week. We are your church. We need your power in us. We seek your kingdom first, we hunger and we thirst, refuse to waste our lives, for you're our joy and prize. To see the captive's hearts released, the hurt, the sick, the poor at peace, we lay down our lives for heaven's cause. We are your church we pray revive this earth build your kingdom here let the darkness fear show your mighty hand heal our streets and land set your church on fire win this nation back Change the atmosphere, build your
your kingdom here. We pray, unleash your kingdom's power, reaching the near and far. No force of hell can stop your beauty-changing hearts. You made us for much more than this. Awake the kingdom, seed in us. Fill us with the strength and love of Christ. We are your church. We are the hope on earth. Build your kingdom here. Let the darkness fear. Show your mighty hand. Heal our streets and land. Set your church.